Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, September 16th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The mayor brings us the latest from City Hall and the proposed addition of three new communities being added to the city and an update on the four-year budget cycle now being discussed by council. Then we head to the UK for the preparations ahead for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, which takes place on Monday. We get all the details from Ben O'Hara Byrne, host of A Little More Conversation. Next, it's our weekly check-in with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Jackson brings us details of the controversial proposal by U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham to institute a 15-week national ban on abortion. And finally, we wrap up our week-long back-to-work series looking at the issue of work-life balance. We talk about what employers can do to keep their workers happy with Dr. Nita Chinzer, Professor of Business and Economics at the Gordon S. Lang School of Business at the University of Guelph. City Council back from their summer break and looking to approve three new communities in Calgary. Joining us to talk about that and all the news impacting Calgarians is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Happy Friday to you. Let's talk about the uh, new communities to kick things off. Three new communities. Boy, Calgary is really spreading out farther and farther, isn't it? Is it, is it imperative that we do this? Well, it's interesting because we have this tendency to call things communities when, in fact, the administration calls them business cases. So we find ourselves in a conundrum where we're getting politicians to do each other to lift something called a growth management overlay. Now, this was a tool that was used since 2012 um, to decide where growth should happen in the city if it wasn't in an established area. And, I mean, it was an interesting concept. Yes, you should have a discussion about where to grow, but there was really no um, criteria around it. Since that time, we have developed criteria that says this is how much it will cost to operate, this is how much the capital will cost, and yes or no, it's in alignment with our policies. To me, if it's a cut-and-dry case like that and it proves itself out, why would you need to still rely on this growth management overlay tool? So we've had this big swirl going on, and um, some of my colleagues felt it was important to advance these three areas for growth earlier than budget season, which I did not agree with. I think everything should um, come at budget time if there's any sort of cost associated. So that's the debate we had. I was on the losing side of that argument, and those Three areas have been approved ahead of budget. All right. Switching gears, Mayor, and the four-year budget cycle being looked at, uh, being talked about at City Hall. What can you tell us where we're at and the direction it's going? We had a bit of a preview on, well, I think it was Wednesday. The days tend to run together. Um, In that preview, we were advised that administration had managed to keep within what they call the budget envelope that was approved. And our indication to them earlier this year was, please try to keep things in line with inflation and population growth so that um, people's taxes stay pretty steady and we are not um, overburdening Calgarians. And yet we are still providing them the same level of service. From what we saw, they've been able to achieve that goal because overall, it looks like people's assessed market value for their properties will increase. That's not a function of council. That's simply what the market dictates. So it looks like we might be able to bring the mill rate, the actual tax rate down if those property values are strong because we are entering into a recovery time. Is the mill rate and the property tax rate, is that the same thing? You know, we call it the property tax rate and it's not really a thing. It is indeed a mill rate. That is the um, percentage at which 
we tax your property. So, you know, we've been using the terms interchangeably. If we're being official about it, it's called a mill rate. Okay. Less confusing, I suppose, if we just keep to that one, then, because I, I get lost in that all the time, too. Oh, we all do. Okay. Parents will want to hear this one. Council has approved new business licenses for child care pro- providers. What makes them different? And, and is this going to make a difference and make it more accessible, child care for, for Calgarians? You know, this situation actually arose from the death of a little child named Mackenzie Wolfsmith. And I have to give full credit to Mackenzie's parents for being unbelievable advocates for more uh, precautions and safety and regulation of unlicensed uh, child care facilities. When Mackenzie's mom came to meet with me last year, it was an incredibly compelling story that there had been a fatality inquiry into her child's death. However, nothing had been enacted by the provincial government for unlicensed care facilities. So in speaking with our administration and my colleagues on council, we realized that through the business licensing process, we could provide parents with an extra layer of support and comfort that the child care facility had been vetted by somebody. So that's what we did. We must ask you before we let you go about the event center. I know the committee meeting this week and uh, there seems to be some positive feeling about it. Can you tell us anything if the flames are back at the table or where we are as we try to move forward on this thing and we hear more and more about a crumbling saddle dome? I think the fact that we have maintained confidentiality as talks have uh, moved forward, as we have entrusted a third party to have conversations with any interested parties, I believe that confidentiality will take us to a good place. I remain very optimistic. I know that members of council do as well. We received an update on Wednesday and, uh, you know, all indications are that we are moving ahead. And as soon as we can give you any news, the chair of the committee, Councillor Sharp, will certainly do that. All right. Thanks for your time once again. Have a great weekend, Mayor. Thank you. You too. Happy Friday. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The line to see the Queen lying in state reached capacity this morning. It was stopped for a few hours. The British government pausing entry, advising people to just stay away. That line looks like it started to move again. But in the meantime, King Charles continues his tour of the UK today. And joining us with all the latest from London is Ben O'Hara Byrne, host of A Little More Conversation right here on 770 CHQR. Good morning to you, Ben. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Good morning. Looks like the lines are starting to move again for the folks who want to get in to pay their respects to the Queen. Yeah, we we understood they were going to pause it for several hours. I think they're trying to accommodate as many people as possible. But we knew that, you know, come the weekend, people would have more time. People would start coming in from different parts of the country as well to take part in this moment in history. Uh, So, yeah, that line just grew exponentially over the last 12 to 24 hours. When I was there yesterday morning, it was about a five and a half hour wait, more or less, you know, three and a half kilometers as you mentioned, it increased to about 12, 13 overnight, stretching all the way back to Southwark Park, which is a long way east from Buckingham Palace, from uh, Westminster Hall, rather. Um, so they just had to shut it down. They can't make people wait for that long, really. So they're trying to encourage people to pay attention to guidance and then join that line when they can. But no matter what, it looks like that lineup is going to be a very long one. I can imagine there's not going to be less demand heading into the weekend. So, you know, they knew this was going to be um, a, you know, a very popular uh, thing. They probably could have ticketed it or found some other way to do it. It seems democratic just to let everyone wait. But, you know, uh, you have to have a lot of patience if you want to get in. Although everyone I've spoken to said it was well worth the wait uh, when they got a chance to pay their respect to the Queen. Uh, but it's going to be a long wait over the weekend. If there's any solace, the weather's held out a bit, which is always the case in London. It hasn't been raining. It's been sunny. 
So uh, there is that uh, for those who are about to face or in the middle of facing a very long wait. What do we know, Ben, about the activities and the agenda of King Charles ahead of the funeral? I know watching images on Global News, he seems to be present at a lot of the activities and observances, uh, but uh, he has a busy couple of days ahead of him. He did. I mean, on Thursday, yesterday, he uh, was away from public duties for the day. Today, they went to Wales. Uh, obviously, he was the, the longest-serving Prince of Wales, uh, and he famously learnt some Welsh very quickly back when he was Prince of Wales. For the first time on his first visit to Wales, I believe, as Prince of Wales, he actually delivered uh, part of his speech in Welsh. He did so again today. I believe it's the first time uh, a monarch has ever done so in, in, in Welsh. Uh, so he was visiting Wales today the end of their UK tour. They were in Scotland first, obviously, because the Queen passed away there and there were services and activities in Edinburgh. Uh, so he was there last weekend and then in Northern Ireland after that. So this wraps up that part of their tour. Um, they're also going to be involved, and the King's going to be involved in something that a lot of people have been waiting for this evening at 7.30 uh, local time. So uh, a little bit earlier, 11.30, uh, I believe, in, uh, in, in Calgary. Uh, they will be uh, doing something called the Vigil of the Princes when both the king, uh, the king and his three siblings, Princess Margaret, uh, Prince Andrew, and Prince Edward, will stand vigil, will stand guard at, uh, at the Queen's coffin in Westminster Hall this evening. Um, and it's the first time, and they did so in Edinburgh as well. That time was the first time a woman had been taken involved, been involved in it, Princess Anne. She will do so again tonight. So lots of attention to that. And then, of course, the delegations start to arrive, the VIPs start to arrive, and the King and the Queen Consort will be hosting a state event at Buckingham Palace on Sunday for many of the visiting dignitaries who will be here for the funeral on Monday. And no doubt why a lot of the people are in line right now, hoping to catch a glimpse of the new king. And then I hear as well that the following day, uh, all of the grandchildren of the queen will stand vigil, including William and Harry, Harry and his military garb. So no doubt people are hoping they can catch a glimpse of all the famous royal family yeah, members. I, mean, I, w- I was in that line yesterday for about five hours, just trying to get a feel of what it was like. How, how would you organize something like that and, and just to find out what pe- why people were there, what would, uh, what would bring them there. And, and uh, you know, timing it will be very difficult. So to be there when, uh, when either, you know, the king and his siblings are there or when uh, the princes are there is going to, be, uh, going to be a challenge, but I can see why there'd be such vast interest in being present when that was, that was unfolding. Um, but yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there is that duality here of both a public figure, a monarch being mourned, but also family mourning as well. And they try to really um, intertwine those two things to allow for moments where the family can take part, such as the procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall the other day, and then again uh, the funeral service on uh, Monday when the family will be involved again. Uh, and so far, I mean, I, I feel like it, it, it's been done in a way that's allowed both the nation to pay their respects, but also for the family to have their moments as well. Have you had the opportunity? Oh, by the way, I got a, just a quick text here I'd like to share with you. This is cool, cool. My brother Nicholas stood in line and was so happy to pass Her Majesty after five hours of waiting. This is from Stephen. And I also went to see Edward in Windsor. He alone went to see the Queen Mother. As a family, we feel loyalty to the royal family. So, yeah, we're getting texters in saying, you know, in the past, we've had family be there to observe such occasions. And currently his brother is. I'm wondering, Ben, have you come in across any Canadians who have made the trip to say goodbye in, in your work? Uh, I did. I did. I actually, the first night uh, the, the first night of that line, I bumped into uh, to a Canadian couple who had flown over specifically for that. Um, they'd flown over the day after the Queen died just to take part in some of these some of these events, including the procession um, on Tuesday, as well as the as the lying in state, so they were there for that. I've seen other Canadians as well, many of them based 
Here, of course, uh, it is it is a daunting lineup to get involved in if you've just landed. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, and I've met some members of the Canadian High Commission, including from the military who were there yesterday, uh, paying their respects. So yeah, there there is obviously Canadians. I mean, it is mostly people from the UK just because of of the circumstances of it. But there are people from all over the place in that line yesterday. There were Americans as well. Uh, but you get the sense that you know, looking at a 13, 14 hour wait when you have limited time here to pay your respects. Uh, it's worth the wait, I would imagine, but it's a big it's a big investment. Thank you so much for the update, Ben. Appreciate your time again this morning. Yeah, sure thing. My pleasure. Thank you, Ben O'Hara Byrne, host of A Little More Conversation right here on 770 CHQR. See, I, I could see, Sue, if, you, if you're local, yeah, great. Mm-hmm. But if you've spent money to go there, I mean, if this was the only reason you went, obviously you're going to wait 14 hours. But if you were on holiday, I would not wait 14 hours I would not take 14 hours out of my day. But it's a piece of history. It's I a time that. in history. You wouldn't, so you would not stand in this line. Is that what you're saying? To just be there, I think, is, is maybe, well, for me, it would be enough to mm-hmm. be there and to be in front of Buckingham Palace and see the, the flowers laid out and the, the different uh, It memorial. would be beautiful. I, for me, it would, I would not wait 14 hours. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's my opinion. I don't think I would either. Although I would, I think it would be an honor to be, to pass yeah. by, to pay your respects. Ugh. I'm not sure that I would stand in that line well, either. I'm thinking the- not. Yes, U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham proposing a 15-week nationwide abortion ban this week. Joining us to help break down all the latest news from south of the border is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good Friday morning, Jackson. How are you? Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Okay, let's uh, start with this one. Lots to get to this morning for sure. Lindsey Graham, 15-week nationwide abortion ban. Can you explain that, what he's after here? Yeah, you know, this is a bit ironic because, of course, when the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade uh, decision, uh, people like Lindsey Graham were saying, hey, it should be up to the states to decide what type of abortion laws exist in their state. Uh, And Republicans were quick to say, no, 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 we don't want a federal ban on abortion. Well, sure enough, now you've got Lindsey Graham coming out and proposing a federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks. Uh, He has kind of stepped in it, I think, from the Republican perspective, because Republicans really don't want to talk about abortion, don't want to talk about a federal ban just, you know, seven or eight weeks here before the midterm elections, because abortion is the issue that has really turned the tables and has turned what was supposed to be a big red wave for Republicans uh, into a real chance that, in fact, Democrats keep control of the Senate and potentially the House as well. So this is a proposal at this point, Jackson. What are the next steps? Uh, What are we going to see as far as his proposal going forward? It's unlikely to pass. Uh, Republicans right now don't have control of the House or the Senate in the current session. So that pretty much torpedoes it right then and there. But what he's doing is, of course, making it a topic of discussion again at a really inconvenient time for Republicans. Because, as I mentioned, uh, this is an issue that has really fired up new voter registration amongst Democrats and amongst women in particular. And you're seeing even in conservative states like Kansas, for example, which had a recent referendum on abortion access, that this is an issue that actually unites Democrats and uh, a lot of Republicans. They... They favor broadly, uh, most Americans, some access to abortion services. Speaking of getting fired up, anytime you mention the name Donald Trump, that's what happens. The Justice Department subpoenaing more than 30 people in Trump's orbit as part of the January 6th investigation. What's the latest on that one? 
Yeah, I mean, it gives you a sense that things are ramping up and not slowing down. Uh, they have seized phones from close Trump advisors. They've issued subpoenas, as you mentioned, for about 30 people. And it all suggests that, uh, you know, the grand jury here is getting closer and closer to uh, potential charges, uh, that the investigation is really focusing in on who knew what, who planned what, who coordinated what. It all suggests there's more trouble to come here. And remember that the January 6th investigation is just one of almost a dozen investigations that the former president is embroiled in here. So uh, by all means, uh, uh, he is certainly watching his back from a legal perspective these days. All right, uh, switching gears again, the Las Vegas Review Journal lost a reporter stabbed to death last week in Las Vegas. How challenging is it uh, right now, Jackson, to be a journalist in the current political climate? Yeah, it's definitely very, very challenging. Uh, we know that, you know, the number of threats against journalists and the, the media have really increased in recent years. It obviously doesn't help when you have uh, prominent politicians like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis calling reporters the enemy of the people. Uh, you know, the situation in Vegas, of course, was an investigative reporter who was digging into a, uh, a high-ranking local official, and that is who the suspect is in the fatal stabbing here. Uh, but it really tells you about the, the dangers of the work that journalists face right now at such a sort of politically fraught and divisive time. I want to circle back. Uh, we talked about abortion at the beginning, but same-sex marriage, that's another one that seems that it's definitely a hot potato in the United States, and, and there was supposed to be some sort of a vote that's not going ahead now. Is that right in the legislation till after the midterms? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we say hot potato, but it's really not. This is something that is now broadly supported by the vast majority of the, the American public. But again, you're seeing Republican politicians hint that they would like to roll back federal protections for same-sex marriage, and they say leave it up to the states. But of course, you have to wonder, based on the abortion track, if they're not looking at undoing it federally as well. And so you had Democrats come and say, hey, we think we can get 60 votes in the Senate. That's how many you need. Bring a few Republicans on board and codify same-sex marriage as federal law and not just have it hinging on the whims of a former Supreme Court ruling the way abortion did, because we all know how that played out. They've now backed away from that, and I think it's really telling that uh, they cannot necessarily get 60 votes out of 100 senators to codify something in public that is supported by, I think the last time I checked the polls, more than 70% of Americans support same-sex mm. marriage at this point. On this side of the border, Jackson, we've obviously been talking about the cost of living, inflation and the interest rates hikes that we've been witness to. Uh, reading that the U.S. mortgage rates now have climbed above 6% for the first time since 2008, 14 years ago. I'm wondering what sort of an effect this is having for those hoping to get into the housing market and just the general state of the economy with a 6% mortgage rate. Uh, things seem to be not so rosy down there as well. Yeah, and of course, that is the sort of on paper rate. When you look at what the banks are actually offering, it's closer to 7% right now. There's an expectation that the Federal Reserve is going to hike rates by another full percentage point next week, and then next month, another three quarters to another full point. So rates are really going to be skyrocketing. Kind of interesting that in the housing market, it hasn't really, um, you know, stopped things dead in their tracks. It has slowed them down. I think people would argue that the housing market is perhaps in a more reasonable place right now. Uh, you know, fewer crazy bidding wars. Prices are sort of uh, at the asking point now instead of going way over. But it hasn't collapsed by any means, but certainly sort of factors into the bigger worries people have about the, the overall state of the economy. And this is coming from the fact that inflation just isn't slowing down. So the central bank continues to raise rates. Uh, Jackson, another one is that uh, President Biden meeting with the families of Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan at the White House today, both of them still in prison in Russia. Do we know the latest uh, on, you know, potentially bringing them back home? 
Yeah, I mean, there's certainly nothing concrete at this point in terms of bringing them back home. You have to assume that discussions are underway behind the scenes. But, you know, it's such a politically fraught time in relations with Russia right now that it's hard to see Russia giving up the, you know, quote unquote, leverage of holding high profile Americans uh, in prison right now. And so, uh, you know, not clear how that waiting game is, is going to end for those families who are understandably very, very anxious about seeing this come to a conclusion. Of course, all eyes of the world on the UK right now and London of the funeral taking place on Monday of Queen Elizabeth II. I'm wondering, you know, in the U.S. with some of your maybe neighbors, colleagues down there, people that you, you see on the street in coffee shops, is this something that has the interest of the American people? Do you know of people who are going to be watching it live at that very early hour on Monday? You know, I think the difference is there's not perhaps the emotional attachment to the monarchy that, of course, Canadians have. Uh, but there's still a great deal of interest in the royals and uh, the queen. And, you know, coverage down here has been just as wall-to-wall, -wall, arguably, as it has been in Canada as well. So I think, you know, the funeral uh, will be televised for sure live here. Lots and lots of interest. Uh, you know, the, the president has ordered uh, flags at federal buildings uh, lowered uh, until the funeral is over. So there's certainly a commemoration of her life down here. But uh, people sort of look it more as an observance and again they don't necessarily have the the emotional attachment uh to, to queen elizabeth mm -hmm. thank you so much for the update jackson have a great weekend have a great weekend thank you jackson prosco global news washington bureau chief what does the future of work look like for you and your company the way we work has been changed forever now an in-depth conversation about today's workplace this is back to work a lack of work-life balance is leading to an increase in what has been called quiet quitting. Well, what can companies do to better support employee needs and prevent burnout? Joining us to discuss and round out the week-long back-to-work series here on 770 CHQR is Dr. Nita Chinzer, professor at the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph. Good morning to you, Dr. Chinzer. Thanks for having me on. This is like putting our hands in Pandora's box and really trying to make sense of it, right? And that's and that's why we have you here to yes. help us make yeah. sense of it. And, uh, you know, the, the wrinkle thrown at us was, of course, the pandemic. So in your viewpoint, how did the pandemic change the priorities of, of Canadian employees? Well, I think people began to reevaluate their relationship with work. And a lot of us thought that we would keep giving and giving and giving at work for the greater good, thinking that a lot of our colleagues were our you know, lifelong friends and the bounds that we made, the social connections that we made at work, we thought that those were really long-term in terms of development. But as the pandemic hit, people began to think about, you know, life beyond work. What is the value of what we're doing? Who are our friends? Where do we stand and where do we spend our time? And it was a bit of a eureka moment for some people who decided, you know, I'm, I'm tired of living in a shoebox. I'm moving out to the suburbs. I'm tired of working for this type of an employer. I want to venture out and try something on my own. So it really became a time of great upheaval from the world of work. And I, I'm sure that businesses, business owners all realize that if they want to keep employees, if they've got good employees particularly and want to keep them, there has to be some sort of a balance because not everybody is ready or able or willing anymore exactly to burn themselves out like that. So yeah. how does a business, an employer help employees find that balance. Right. So at the start when the pandemic first hit, we actually saw productivity increase and people were spending more time at work because they weren't sure how long they would be in that stage of uncertainty. So they were giving more for the company. And now after two years, they're saying, wow, I really got very little back in return for those efforts. 
So employers are now, honestly, most of my conversations with HR executives, they're shaking in their boots. We hear the term great resignation. We hear the term quiet quitting. But it's essentially about looking at what the job actually requires. And some employers are using archaic job um, analysis or archaic job descriptions, saying this is what your job requires. And it's pivoted quite a bit. Now that there may be more work that is, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion oriented. There may be more work about mentoring others. There may be more requirements for training and development. Maybe more of your work is tech-based. But those old job descriptions we hired people on never bothered to get updated. Mm. So a smart employer would now say, wait a minute, if it's really critical for me that somebody mentors a new employee, why don't I just make that part of someone's job instead of telling them to do their job plus mentorship, do their job plus training, do their job plus leading these initiatives. So it's really um, a call to reevaluate what the job is. It's not what people left three years ago. These jobs have morphed and the companies are behind. Interesting and a super timely conversation. Thank you for spending your time with us, uh, Nita. We appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. That's Dr. Nita Chinzer, professor in the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics, of course, at Guelph University. 